Signs of the Southland, Monday, January 16th, 2023. Mr. Grant, tell me about Jameer Gibson. Yeah, uh, I know I can't be the only person that did a double take, but Georgia Tech track and field's newest, I guess I would say bona fide star, um, is Jameer Gibson. He's an Army transfer uh, studying and getting his master's at Georgia Tech uh, as a grad transfer in civil engineering, he's taken the world by storm after setting multiple Army Patriot League and Service Academy records. He also adds Georgia Tech's weight throw record um, at, you know, 20.4 meters, which is pretty impressive. Uh, and I honestly believe that in six years of writing, maybe seven now, uh, Yellow Jacket Roundup, I've never even mentioned us having a notable finish in the weight throw. So, uh, yeah, this is this is a nice ad. And then he won the shot put, too, for, just for good measure. Very, very cool. I mean, the name is uh, is striking, to say mm-hmm. the least, just on the balance of that alone. At least both names are just slightly different spellings. Just enough. I, yeah. uh, I, I will say, writing out the column yesterday, I had visions of uh, Jameer Gibbs vaulting uh, over a Louisville defender on the goal line. And I smiled fondly uh, remembering what was. Uh, but no, it's it's great to have him aboard, even though I'm pretty sure we're only getting him for one season before he joins the Army Corps of Engineers, which is, you know, heck of a heck of a way to uh, use your tech engineering degree. Someone really wanted to avoid saying a uh, hell of a way to use an engineering degree, didn't they? Uh, moving right along, uh, you'll see... Jameer Gibson, not Jameer Gibbs, uh, at a Vandy Invitational track and field meet on January 20th. Last intro item of the day, Mr. Purdy, tell me about Chris Eubanks. Chris Eubanks is currently not on the North American continent because he is in Australia, in Melbourne, at the Australian Open. He won his first round match against a South Korean whose name I have forgotten already. Quan? Yes, Quan. Um, and then I also did not research who he's playing in round two, but he would play tomorrow night at some point between 7 p.m. and 4.30 a.m. start time on the East Coast, if I have my range of start times correct for the Australian Open singles. Um, so we got a tech guy getting down. We, hey, this is good. Um, setting the path for Mr. Martin maybe one day to get, get, was, to get some it, rounds in Melbourne. It was interesting to hear about Eubanks getting that wild card. I think one of our writers was mentioning, oh, the U.S. Open and the Australian Open have this swap situation with their wild cards where uh, the USTA gives a wild card to an Australian player and a and the Australian Open gives a wild card to an American player, but the American player is usually younger, whereas Eubanks is like, what, 28, 29? Um, yeah. So the selection criteria there at least at least was a little interesting. I don't know enough to whether this speaks to what, that we don't have talent in the American youth right now to find someone younger than Chris to put in the Australian Open. Um, men's U.S. tennis I, is, on, the, is in the best spot it's been, though, in a long time since uh, since James Blake. I would, uh, for American, like, international sports, I would always follow the Team USA Tracker Twitter account. They, whoever runs it, has an infinite amount of time to follow an infinite amount of Americans doing an infinite amount of niche <laughs> sports, uh, infinite amount of sports just across the world. It's very fun to follow and, and tune in occasionally. If you're very into the very like, Hey, maybe I only watch this every four years, but yeah, I'll turn into like this weekend. I was like, Oh, well, I only I mean- watch this for every four years, but I'll tune into the checks and notes. F I S U university games, speed skating <laughs> competition. I mean, I would if you have Peacock. Uh, Michaela Schifrin will be going to break Lindsey Vonn's record at her next slalom or Grand Prix event or whatever they call it in international skiing. Um, but all these things are only on Peacock, so I couldn't watch her last attempts, which made me really mad because I don't have I don't have that yet. Would be nice to Ooh. have the Olympic Channel back, huh? Mm-hmm. Re- remember when you used to get all the channels on one box? Uh man, mm. what a concept. It's all cable now. It's all cable again. Speaking of mediocre outcomes, let's talk about Georgia Tech basketball. Uh, The men's basketball team first, they put together two losses this week at Notre Dame and at Pittsburgh. Uh, And then women's basketball also put together two losses this week. Women's, uh, the women lost 
versus Miami at home, and then again versus Duke. Let's talk about the men first. Mr. Grant, let's start with the Notre Dame game. What you got for me? Yeah, so Notre Dame is a place where Georgia Tech has typically or traditionally been snake bitten, I think is a fair thing to say. Uh, I believe the last time we've won there on the road is 1990. And ever since Notre Dame joined the ACC, we've played on the road there every year. So that should give you a bit of a sense uh, of the the kind of just general bad luck that befalls them up at the pavilion um, at the Joyce Center. But um, yeah, and that's a that's a Notre Dame team that, you know, Josh Pastner has very much said in the past that he he very much looks up to Mike Bray, the get old, stay old model uh, that that they've had there for quite some time. Uh, and again, not to say that Georgia Tech has universally struggled with Notre Dame. We've played them uh, some very interesting and exciting wins um, here at home. But anyway, all that to say. Uh, it was uh, an overtime game, uh, an overtime game which Tech led very late. Uh, they led by seven with two and a half to play, uh, kind of the inverse of the Miami situation, I guess uh, one might say, but uh, this did go to overtime. Uh, it, it's one of those games where, you know, uh, they, they played well on the glass. It's one of the, the first times we've seen Tech uh, really out-rebound the other team this year. Uh, their turnovers were higher than they have been Um but it was a pretty even game, blocks, turnovers, steals uh, type type situation. And and really what it came down to, uh, I would say, at least, uh, was just a little bit different uh, cadence in terms of the effectiveness from three. They shot more threes and made less threes. That'll make the difference in the game. Uh, and then just, you know, something we've seen all year and is definitely a theme we'll talk about against Pittsburgh, but just being relatively uh, ineffective inside the circle. Uh, really hard to... Uh, to win if you're not making the short range, high percentage shots, the layups, the, you know, the shot from the elbow. Uh, and we, we've long had uh, very effective uh, presences in, in that paint uh, for Passner. And I think uh, this is just a game where, especially when it only comes down to uh, one more make here or there, uh, it, it really shows not having kind of that outlet in the middle, which really helps open up the floor uh, for the other guys as well. Let me get you some stats here real quick before we move on to the pick game uh, versus Notre Dame, Javon Franklin, 45 minutes, 12 points, five for seven from the field, 12 total rebounds, Rodney Howard, 13 minutes, 33% for the field, but only took three shots, two points. Lance Terry, 35 minutes, unfortunately one for nine from the field, oh, four from three, four total points on the night. A very rough game after what looked like a very bright spot for him versus Miami, right? Yeah, um, and if you're going to keep going down the box score, you'll notice Debo Coleman, again, about 28 minutes, two for eight field goals, 0 for six from three. Uh, the two of them uh, take a pretty high volume of shots. It's Lance and, and Debo. And, you know, going 0 for 10 combined from three is, is tough, and it just seems that... Uh, you know, Debo's like he—he's had a—I'd say fairly good shot selection. Uh, you know, uh, it kind of comes out in the wash during a game, but uh, you know, he's just been a, a a hair off, and and that's something that you know is—I wouldn't really say is a, a pointing figures or a fault per se, but it's something that just makes it really tough to win a ball game when you're you know that that cold on that many attempts. Uh, another thing that came up during this game, you mentioned that Pastor usually has a bunch of size uh, or traditionally has had size uh, in the paint. In this game, Notre Dame sort of always played their two really tall guys. I don't have their names on hand uh, in front of me, but maybe I can you know, scheme it up based on the rebound numbers. I just want to say it's Goodwin and Lisette Laszewski. Lashevsky. Lashevsky. Ah, like Lashevsky, but Lashevsky. But yeah, go. so they usually have those two guys uh, on the court for the whole game. I mean, they, I mean, they played 42 minutes each, um, and they were able to keep. I mean, they dominated the, the boards for the for the most part defensively. It's um, not that hard to just... beat to beat this to beat Tech right now on the guy side with really good paint presence. I mean, the rebounding's mm -hmm. not as great as before. I think I think Pastner maybe wanted Davon to be a more active in the paint as well, even though without the height, just at least be just a guy that scrums and makes chaos happen. And that's, he's not getting much playing time and he was sick. Um, I, I will yeah, say there was a bug going through the team. Uh, that is important to mention. I do want to note uh, Davon 
in this game, 36 minutes, 10 rebounds. He's Tech's second highest rebounder. Oh, and Tech did out-rebound okay. Notre Dame uh, 42 to 33, including 14 offensive rebounds. I would not really say that rebounding was the, the issue on the yeah, day. Not in that uh, game, I guess. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think, I think yeah, Smith pulling down a double-double. But I, I think that yeah, was I guess probably it was... true of Pitt. Offensively, sure. I would yeah. say that's still a problem. Um just in general, because yeah. Howard's, I mean, I think if you get the eye test on Rodney Howard for me is his hand, he's he, the height's there, but he just does not have the hands to be that, to not be effective against average people in the paint. Um, yeah. Now looking are at continually this, a problem. <laughs> yeah. Now looking at this again, look at this a little bit more closely. It's very weird that tech out rebounded on the whole Notre Dame, despite them playing what seemed to be two seven footers for 42 minutes each. The entire game, but yeah. I think this kind of gets shocked up to Georgia Tech and Notre Dame have literally never played a normal game ever. <laughs> uh, and I think that's a great place to leave that one. Let's move over to the pit game again. Uh, maybe not, not too early to say it's a super Saturday, but they did have tennis and, and men's basketball both on Saturday. Anyways, um, Tech played pit. Uh, it was 60 to 71. Uh, to borrow the Akshay way of reading scores, which I dislike. I don't know why I did that. Anyways. Um, now I remember Pitt, why I forgot this game. Pitt was essentially a completely different team uh, than we saw uh, last year. I, I think only one uh, of their, their players was back, or maybe it was one of their starters. I can't remember. Um, they did have a little bit more height uh, than, than, than Notre Dame. Uh, they were able to... Uh, score i would say pretty effectively but uh unlike notre dame unlike georgia tech uh, in in both games i'd argue uh pittsburgh really concentrated their scoring uh into you know three four guys but in particular jamarius burton uh and nick sabandi uh 21 and 19 apiece for sabandi and burton uh, and and that's pretty pretty significant right they, they're guys who were very effective uh in terms of you know getting getting to the dish and, and getting points uh, 16 for 13, 7 for 12 from the field for those two. Savani was 3 for 6 from 3. Uh, critically, both were uh, very effective at the line. Uh, they went 7 for 7 and 4 for 4 apiece. And Pitt went 17 for 20 on free throw attempts when Tech only got to the stripe three times. In a game decided by 11 points, that is brutal. Um, weirdly, the foul discrepancy is not that high, 16 to 12. Um I could rant and put on the tinfoil hat about this a little bit. Very weird to see one of their uh, the refs constantly in the pit huddle. But uh, this is not a podcast for pointing fingers per se. I will leave that there. All I will say is that that is a striking difference. Uh, 17 more attempts uh, and 17 more points from the stripe in an 11-point game. Uh, that's been a theme of Tech games, uh, I'd say, for probably about two years. It's just not getting to the line nearly as much as the other team, uh, whether that's an us problem or someone else nefarious problem. Uh, that's not this podcast place to judge. I know that's a lot of words, but what I want to come back around to is Georgia tech was not horribly ineffective from three 12 for 29 kept them in this game. Uh, what they lacked was drawing fouls that were shooting, uh, making the frugal number of, uh, free throws that they got. And they were, uh, rather, uh, rather poor, in, in the paint and inside the arc, uh, 24 for 66 overall uh, made field goals. And if you subtract out the threes, you're down to about, you know, 12 of them, which is not really what you want uh, in, in terms of effectiveness down low. Um, not to be too much uh, of, of a rain cloud. I will say Davon Smith, 15 points led the way. Uh, he had another double-double. That's his second straight double-double. And Debo Coleman bounced back three for eight from three, five for 12 overall with 13 points. Uh, so, you know, not uh, not a great day. Uh, Terry had another quiet day. Jalen Moore didn't play a ton coming off an injury. Um, so, you know, just uh, pretty quiet other than, than Davon and Debo and, you know, this is this is a team that has a lot of talent. I, I agree with Passner when they say uh, that he has more than five starters, but it's a lot of a lot of high high floor is what we've seen, and, and I I don't think we've seen close to the ceiling except maybe the Miami game. I don't know if I've uh, outright said this before, but the high starters thing kind of cuts both ways, or five starters thing cuts both ways. You know, yep. it's either you have five, you have more than five good players. Or you have more than five players that are about the same quality. 
Uh, yep. You can you can kind of look. They're they're a younger team, uh, and we'll talk about the women in a sec. They they just both of these teams have a lot of trouble gelling. And to use this as a as an inexpensive segue, I think you saw that a lot for for, for the women versus Miami and Duke, oh, in that sure. they just could not get consistency and they could not hang on to when they had something cooking they just couldn't keep it going um Mm -hmm. jack let's start with the miami game you have here listed the at at the top line they have i had an offense to their quote-unquote burly defensive ball yeah uh these last couple of games duke and miami included have felt the closest to how they played Duke. I mean, not how they played Duke, Duke, how they played UConn last year, which I think was the best version of Fortner ball at Tech, which is really strong defense across the board. And then in order to beat a team that should beat you, just milk a ton of clock on the on the, on the the offensive end and manufacture and just make enough of them to, to where you win, but you don't but you prevent a lot of chances um, on the other end, on, on, the, on yeah, the opposing team trying to score. Um, and it just, it just visually just looked like that looked like that again. Um, I mean, she admitted in the press conference was it after Miami after Miami or the game before that like they just don't have the talent to do the quick offense thing that they wanted to do initially. Um, they had Bianca Jackson and Cam have not been able to do that. They're spot shooters. They're not they're not point guards in the sense of like really creating a lot of things for other people. Um, like they don't play like they don't play like they're closer to James Harden than they are to Trey Young to do a NBA comp um, in terms of style. Uh, Kayla Blackshear is effectively running both sides of the floor right now. She's she's got two, double doubles in both these games. Um, is the only rebounder that's just doing that's doing much of anything down there. Um, and then was making shots too. Uh, she was seven of seven of ten against Duke. Um, in Miami, they they Miami pretty much had the game on lockdown by half. Um, the effort was better in the second in the second half. Um, but it, it, the struggle, it's still, it's a lot of struggle. Like, I didn't even write a recap about the Duke game because I was like, this, it's the same story over and over. They can only really compete for about a half right now. Yeah, and this is something that I wrote down in the doc, too. And I, I think Jake and I were talking about it after the game uh, versus Duke. This is the same template of game that the men's team has played versus every good to good like good to great team that they have faced in the last year and a half right they keep it close for whatever standard period time for a little uh, bit and, and then that's, the, yeah like mostly well, usually it's a half and then they get crushed in a quarter regardless of where that quarter is in the, you know the four quarter system for the women they get yeah. just dumpstered in a quarter and then they lose by double digits like, consistently well, it's happened so many times I will say the one thing that makes the Miami game a little bit different is that came first, right? That was in the second quarter, the second quarter before, yeah. you know, halftime when things kind of got out of control. They get back into the game in the second half and they they played pretty well. They they played a half a good basketball against Miami and yeah. half a good basketball against Duke. They just didn't play them in the same game. Um, the thing that they, makes they, the Miami they, they technically game, did it. They technically did do it four quarters in a row. If you count the second half of the Miami game and the first half of the Duke game, it just it doesn't know how it works. With a two-day-long break in the middle. But uh, I think the thing that makes the Miami game frustrating is that's a team we've matched up pretty well with in the past when uh, Georgia Tech has been a big, burly defensive team. Um, You know, really effective on the class, forcing free throw, uh, not free throws. um, Gosh, breaking the press, all all, all that good stuff. Um, Miami's Miami's been pretty effective at at being defensive. and, you know, it's it's made for entertaining games, close games. The series is uh, four and seven, but I think the, the total point differential is two over the last seven years. So um, that should give you a sense of it being a pretty pretty close matchup, even though it's not, you know, five and six. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think it's just frustrating to see Miami finally figure out the offense thing because they, they played pretty effective offense the entire time. And maybe that's just a sign that Tech's defense isn't what it's been. Yeah, they have mental stuff too still to work through. Like the Miami had a 12-0 run in the in that first quarter to finish, and that just about did them in. Um, then finished 40 to 23 up at half. Um, if it weren't for Kayla going for eight points in the third quarter, in the second, in the third quarter, it'd be a, a different game because that was at least some sort of that was just something to work off of. Um, yeah. And then I mean we were up against Duke 
by one at half. Um, should have been more. The defense got lax at the end and gave up a free bucket that shouldn't have happened. Um, and then, I mean, they scored. Tech scored 15, 13, and 13 in the first three quarters, which is not awful for them. Like last year, that was fine because they would allow somewhere between 7 and 12 points a quarter. Um, but then allowed 25 in the third, and then scored six in the fourth. Like, they just could yeah. not. They just, when they fall apart, they fall apart. Like, and it's, and even if you, even if they can get back into it somewhat, like against Miami, they don't have that, they don't have the gusto, or, I mean, I, I would say they have the talent to make a big comeback in a game just because of Bianca and Cam's shooting ability, as we've seen in the first half of the season. Like, they did it there. It was working. Um, and now the offense is, Powered by Tony Morgan, Blackshear, and Kara Dunn. That that's I think that's that's gonna that's a point I didn't put up in the doc. But like Nell is just waiting for Kara to explode. Like she knows it's coming. Kara played thirty nine minutes or thirty eight minutes against Duke. Like most minutes she's played all year. Um, they, no points though. Has... But you can. But she was. What I would say is like she she was your box to box midfielder putting up fires. A, a exactly. Lot of the time yeah. And yeah. Bring yeah. defensive intensity. Yeah, I mean, she had the worst plus minus, but she played like a ton of minutes. Like she played it all, all freaking game. Um, we actually, yeah, turnovers have been an issue too, just across the board. Homerosa had four. Everyone had a turnover. All, all eight players that played turned the ball over. Like you just and, can't have it. Can't have it. And to your point about them sort of collapsing and collapsing hard, I'm looking at the game flow right now. There's a stretch in the third quarter where they go ice cold for what, like eight, like three or three or four game minutes, and then the entire fourth quarter, they just don't score a yeah, point Duke, for six Duke's, minutes. Duke scored nine of their last 11 buckets in that quarter. It, I, it, it just – they just pulled away. Like, Duke just pulls away as starting with, um, what, like nine minutes left in the third quarter, and they just hit the gas. Yep. I, the thing – I don't know if I straight up said this after the Louisville game. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. I think the thing that makes this the most frustrating for a, I, you know, after seven years, I'd say a long time fan is the fact that like seeing a, in Louisville, Liz Dixon and yesterday, Elizabeth Balligan and granted, don't get me wrong. They left for the right reasons and had every right to, um, this is not an indemnity uh, on them or, or anyone who transfers, everyone who does it, does it for their reasons. And, and I don't think it was, a poor decision or, or at all or anything like that, but it's just, especially given the context. See. Yeah. Oh, especially absolutely. Given the context, especially given the context. I want, I want to not mince any words about that, but man, just, Oh, like Liz Dixon had an effective game against us and Balogun yesterday, for those that don't know, the two of them were both freshmen at the same time at Georgia tech, two very highly touted recruits, uh, two uh, of the most talented recruits tech has ever gotten, frankly, and to see them both starting for other ACC teams, Balogun going five for seven in 26 minutes, uh, two for three from the free throw line, five rebounds, uh, 12 points overall, and their most effective plus minus at plus 21. I mean, that it, you know, it's talent that used to, used to be Georgia Tech, you know, and, and that's, uh, and that's experience, you know, being a, a COVID senior now, I believe, because yeah, I'm old. So, you know, relatively Both of them are COVID seniors. this year. Um, so, you know, that's, and that's experience, right? Uh, experience is something that like, you can have, you know, a super talented care done. And it's great to have like Tony Morgan is super fun to watch play, but yeah. like, you, you know, to have a, a really talented older player uh and and to not have that is it, it's tough right and and that's where we're still seeing the effects of not only this year kind of before the season of us talking about you know we haven't seen Nell Fortner ball yet TM right she's inherited what she what she had there's even stuff that we're feeling the effects of that she didn't even get to inherit right not to mm-hmm. you know go down the rabbit hole down the rabbit hole down the rabbit hole but like you know, Balligan and, and Dixon played with Francesca Pond, who feels like a million years ago. Like this is still <laughs> after effects of of the Josephs fallout, which goodness feels like forever. Well, so let's put this. So let's put these games in perspective, shall we? The men's and women's teams are have combined for let's see one ACC win uh, over you know, 22-23. The men's team is now second to last in the ACC at 1-6 and six in the conference, 8-9 uh, overall. And the women's team is <clears throat> dead last at 9-9 nine and nine overall and 0-7 oh and 
in conference. Let's talk about job security. I, I think it's it's difficult to discuss it. I think both of these coaches are, you know, they, they have big personalities. They're very friendly. Um, they're very good locker room presences. But I think in Pastor's case, specifically the finances and the current uh, football situation that's gone on make it a little bit impossible to let him go at this point. But remarkably I don't infeasible. know what you... Not impossible, just remarkably infeasible. Fiscally inflexible, to borrow a Alex Anthopolism. It, I just don't know what you do here at this point. Right? They play the exact same game. They make the exact same mistakes. He's a very good locker room guy. I think, Jake, we had this conversation uh, a couple of men's basketball games ago. He's a very like, relatable. He's a cool guy, despite making multiple mil- millions of dollars from our R3 collective alma mater. Um, and it's something that's very good in recruiting. It's something that's very good to sell to fans. But at I love some Pastor. point, he's got it. He's a great guy. No, no, no. I, love I, him. I, yeah, yeah, but at yeah. some point, the, I, I'll be the bad guy here if I have to be, uh, being the data-driven NBA type. But, like, at some point, the point is to win basketball games, right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to be mean, but, like – You play to win the game. You have to win ACC basketball games, and he's not. Sometimes so he doesn't I, I even win SoCon games. <laughs> I want to yeah. kick it to you first, Jake, because you're the one that said outright you like you love Josh Passer. What is your take on where he sits and what type of hot seat he sits on? By the nature of Georgia Tech's finances, his seat is not nearly as hot as it would have been had Jeff Collins not been an absolute clown on the football field. Wow, this is a very interesting paired case study you can do here, huh? Uh, Literally, Josh Pastner's job security isn't – well, obviously ACC championship, great. Don't talk to me about the flukes. We still won. I saw it happen with my own eyes. Anyways, that was a fun year. Loved it. But if Jeff Collins – had not successfully incinerated $23 million of shiny, shiny Georgia Tech money. I don't think Josh Pastner would make it after this season, barring some miraculous improvement, sweep the rest of the ACC, you know, win the conference tournament, something like that, right? And and I think that's more of a statement about Georgia Tech than it is about Pastner because... I don't think that his style and his play has fundamentally changed. I think that it has become very difficult to be Georgia Tech with the reported amounts of uh, commitment that are going to this program, Um, whether that's basketball renovation type type needs uh, and and the locker room or the, you know, the scuttlebutt about NIL or or lack of it. Like this is this is the world we live in. And if we're not going to if we're not going to be big time. I mean, this this is a reflection on that. You know, if you if you if you demand Passner current Passner level results, you're going to get current Passner level results, right? I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being too harsh. I'm trying to be devil's avocado, devil's advocate, devil's avocado, devil's avocado. Yeah. Um, Damn. Give I'm gave the meme dev- name of the term. Yeah, my I'm trying to be the antithesis to my own point, right? I think Pastner is a good guy. Uh, I think he's had some success here. I, I enjoy his press conferences and I, you know, he's really easy to root for. But that being said, I, I think that there would be a different story around it if there was more fervor, right? If, if they were coming straight off the Paul Hewitt years or straight off the, uh, you know, Bobby Kremen's years, we're looking a lot closer to the uh, to the attitude around Georgia Tech from like the whack hider days, you know, like it's just, it's just different. Let me offer a little bit more color and a little bit more negativity as is, as is, I, you know, my usual. The only thing keeping Josh Pastor off of the bottom of the ACC right now is a historic collapse by Louisville. This is true. I mean, this is true. Historic. They are winless in conference play and they are like, like 300 plus in Ken Palm. It, no, this I is, didn't this know it was possible almost, for an ACC team to be that bad. By the way, I will. I, 
Jack, if you want to look up the actual Ken Palm thing while I, while I say a yeah. thing, that would be fantastic. But like, he, Josh Bastier is just hovering around 500, if not just slightly below it in like 100, what is it, like 200-something games? 100-something games? Uh, over like over what, seven years? Eight, seven, six years? Six full seasons? Six and a half seasons? It's This ends up being something like Nebraska's situation with head coaches uh, in football. And I promise this has a point Uh, somewhere, somewhere along the line. They went from historic winner to a guy that didn't win enough. So so a guy that didn't win enough was good. And then perennial perennial hater to perennial nice guy to Scott Frost, right? It's just such a weird, eclectic mix. Of, I'm not saying Brian Gregory was a bad guy, but you have this line of just mediocre results that leads to nice guy in the locker room. Like, who's the Scott? Who's going to be Scott Frost then? Like, are you going to? That's hire... not a good comparison. God, I'm not saying it's not, a good not, comparison. Not that it's not apt. It's apt, but we do not want to hire Scott Frost. I don't want. I, want I don't to want do Georgia Tech I to think hire. He's just pointing. He's just pointing out the tea leaves that have existed in the past. Um, I'm not the saying teams... that Georgia Tech is going to hire Scott Frost. They already did something like that for football, and we can unpack yes. that at a later date. We've but learned like, our lesson elsewhere. I well, I don't know about that. We're we're going to come back to that at some point. But like, do you want the Ken Palm? Yes, please give me the Ken Palm because this will help the me team... make solidify my point. The team ranked ahead of. Louisville is Dartmouth. They're seven and twelve. The team ranked behind Louisville is Illinois, Chicago. They're nine and ten. Louisville is number Flames. two, two eighty three. Oh wow! Where is Tech by chance? Georgia Tech is one forty, right in front of Towson, right, right behind Longwood. Dude, you cannot. You, I know the ACC is bad at men's basketball this year. I I know, and I I, I also know that I'm not a like a huge like basketball understander like I am maybe with with football. This this is a bad ACC year and he's still 140th in, in Ken Palm. I will note this in the Ken Palm, we have the 257th worst luck in the in the country um by yep. his luck rating, so Which is fair. That's that's something. Do they have an um, adjusted record like a luck um, adjusted, adjusted record? Adjust, um what's this adjusted adjusted efficiency margin? That's not it. Um no, not really. Um or yeah, okay, not really. Um, the only ranking that we're like good, like good at is um, adjusted schedule strength rating. We're forty fifth, um, and opposing adju- adjusted average offense of opposing offenses is we're eighteenth best in the country. Um, so I think part of that is we just or is that eighteenth worst? Oh, this might be eighteenth like, worst. Sorry, <laughs> I can't tell. I, I, I don't know but these. part of that, but but part of all of that is like. Tech plays in the ACC, right? Like some of those strength of schedule metrics are going to be inflated just because they play in the ACC. And most of the, and in a normal year, a bunch of these teams, your Syracuse's, your Virginia's, your your Dukes, your North Carolinas, are not, you know, four and three in conference like Duke is. Yeah. So it let's have that I be forever, though. I would like Duke to be terrible for the rest of time. Anyway. Oh, I hope that Duke and North Carolina are bad forever. But if they are bad, if they are in this mediocre state forever, that means you should be, you know, come on, like at least pretend like th- there is some competition there. And, instead, I'm not really looking forward to playing Duke. I think Duke and Carolina are both home games. Um, not really. We already played Carolina on the road, so yeah, Duke, Duke's at, Duke, Duke is at home. I, yeah. Well, I was half right, so I'm gonna. That's just about what Josh Bassler's win percentage is. So we're going to move on. <sighs> Mr. Purdy, Nell Fortner. This is year four. Yeah. I don't think she loses her job, and I don't think she should lose her job over no. this year. I uh, yeah, I only have it in the doc just because we're seeing two very similar things happen on both on in both locker rooms right now in terms of win loss and just how everything looks um and how things just haven't necessarily things started really good for the jackets i think on the women's side like better than i think we would have expected um we didn't really know how the bianca and cam thing was going to work out we knew what they were capable of um and they showed that i think pretty reliably early on um and tony morgan was a surprise like oh she's here i think in our preview pod we're like okay we know we got noguero we know we got done we know we got tony 
how often will we see them? If we'll see them, and this is assuming Ilya Love and Nare Hermosa were at 2021, 2022 levels as well. Um, and so a lot has kind of blown up in her face, I would say. Um, that yeah. wasn't necessarily her fault. Um, we obviously we have no additional information on what Lily Love went through or why she's no longer on the team, but fair to say that was not expected to happen. You don't plan on someone having to be removed from the team. Um, and her Hermosa effectively taking a massive step backwards in her ability to stay on the floor as and just as a reliable rebounder and keep the ball in her hand. Um, and then Bianca and Cam went so ice cold they got benched. <laughs> so, um, like, it's... <laughs> I, I, none of it's. I, I don't want to say it's laugh. her fault, but it's just she's having to manage a lot of just pieces. A lot of it. There's not much to know. What there's nothing. There's nothing stable right now. Is with the team is. I guess what I mean there. Um, the big positive is that the freshmen are getting a whole lot of minutes, and they are the future of this team. Yep. So, in theory, that might mean this off next year's team will just be more cohesive and know what to do off the jump because they've gotten hundreds of additional minutes. I think than what was planned. Yeah, and that's what—that's where I was going to go next. It's like the, the one good thing that you can pull out of this is that that core of Nuero, Dunn, um, and also uh, Wonerna. Like both, yeah. all three of them. Even Arana though Wonerna has Arana shown up freshman, in a big way, even though she's not a freshman, and and Morgan, I, I forgot to mention Morgan. All, all four of them getting a lot of minutes and getting a lot of experience and, and looking. You know, not necessarily not bad, uh, but no. at least competent in ACC competition, which is, yeah. which is pretty good. I mean, I think that's a spark and that's a bright spot. Uh, and, and it's something to look forward to as you move into sort of like, OK, well, I'll check back in on this team um, and what their growth looks like in, in 23, 24. And, and I think one could say. One could have feasibly said what before this season that this was always going to be a transition year. I don't think it's necessarily revisionist history to say that. No. Right? They they lost major pieces from last year. The entire I think the entire starting five uh, on at this point, yeah, the whole starting five game is one starting. Yeah, yeah. The well, the entire starting five from game one of this year was uh, different Tony Morgan from started, the yeah. last game. Well, okay, so four of the five pieces Sorry. <laughs> in the like in the interim have changed. Yeah. Yeah, and the entire starting five on day one this year was different from day one last year, or, or not day one last year, but the end of last year, but for the most part. Yeah, um, there's, a lot, I think there's a lot. Hermosa might have been the one, like uh, one Hermosa remaining, was still, Hermosa, piece, one holder piece. Yeah, Hermosa was the last, like one that was stayed there, and then Lily Love got starts starting like game three or four. But yeah, in terms of game one, it was just Hermosa. Okay, well, yeah, it's weird the, the, that Lily wasn't starting based on her, you know, well, really good. Well, that one, but really bad. she's not on the team anymore. It so. was clear. It was clear in the Clayton's eight exhibition game that she was not ready to start a basketball game. So yeah, I, yeah, it's just I, I think what you could say for the women's team is Nell is not going to get fired. If Nell gets fired, that is not no, particularly no, good. I don't think, I don't think at athletic good administration job, um, and you know. 23-24 is going to be an interesting interesting look. I think you can hang – you could sort of write this one off. I don't like saying that to seasons, but you can sort of say, okay, well, uh, she got dealt a bad hand. Priorities have now bad shifted luck. now that the, I think, plans transition with some senior talent to still power through to something in terms of maybe a late add to the NCAA tournament or something like that. That just no longer is that, – that should not still be the goal because I don't think that's yeah. possible anymore. I yeah I I also looking at the schedule and looking at some of the losses that they've taken I just don't think it's it's feasible. I, I, um, no, I don't. I won't, NIT I won't. sure, but yeah, anyways. we'll see. I mm, mm, mm. I last last point because uh, this is in our doc. Jack, you asked the question: Is this the worst combined stretch in tech basketball? And here, before we actually get into the, the stats here, at least in Jake and I's limited experience, I guess what, that's eight years for me, seven years for me, six years for Jake. This yeah. is my seventh season. Seventh season. Okay, me. so so eight for me. Um, yeah, this is, ugh, yeah, this is, they've, they've both been bad. They've both been really, really bad. I don't think that they've ever been this bad in – the memory of the the institutional memory that either of us have i i will say the kind of thing that we kind of 
hang our hat on, I guess, as being like horrible, terrible collapse is the end of the last season of Joseph's. And having just gone and looked back at that the other day, at least they sprinkled, sprung some more wins uh, in the middle of that. So, yeah, it's it's tough and it's OK to feel like this has been a tough year, I'd say. Jack, before we head to a quick break, give me the actual worst combined stretches. The actual. So this is the worst in 10 years. Um both teams had a simultaneous five-game losing streaks in January of 2013. Um, save us, the men beating Miami, we would have been in that exact situation again this December-January stretch. Um, the actual worst-worst was 1980-1981. The men went 1-21 from December 20 through the rest of the year, and the women went 2-11 of 11 from November 28 to January 26. Uh, what so- you can't hear is me cussing on mute. So it's been it's been since the '80s that we've looked simultaneously this bad. In 0506, there was something pretty similar, at least in a limited time frame. Um, the men were two and thirteen to finish, and the women were three and fourteen to finish. Um, but that's still um, two more. That's uh, five wins total. So like a lot. Still, if, that feels a lot better than the 1980-81 stretch. And then both were not that great in 79 and 80. But I just credit that to the women being a fresh team because that was their third season of existence. So. Um, At least 05, 06, you could probably make a reasonable argument that everyone from that 03, 04, those 03, 04, and those right. 04, 05 teams that made deep tournament runs, you could say that everyone graduated, yeah, that that was are. a step back. Yeah. But ugh, yeah, the rest so, of that is, And I will say one thing about 19, 1980, they were still being coached by the equivalent of the club sports director. So yeah. take that. They, they, they were supposed to lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, I think we've hit a good stopping point on our basketball discussion. We'll see uh, the men's team back in action on the 17th, so that's Tuesday at 7 p.m. versus NC State, and the women will be back in action on Thursday the 19th at 7 p.m. versus Syracuse. We will be back in action after this short break. Yeah, as always, Science of the Southland is brought to you in partnership with Section 103. Guys, Section 103 is the best place to find Georgia Tech gear, so feel free to check them out at section103.com and at Section 103 on Twitter. Uh, one thing I do want to note as we look towards baseball and softball season is they are back with baseball and softball shirts uh, with the the great baseball uh, sleeve cuts and, and also the Tech uh, retro-inspired Uh, zip up i have the zip up i am wearing it constantly around the house just not tonight because it's in the wash which is very sad uh but uh definitely go check them out free shipping on orders over 70 bucks it is our favorite place to buy georgia tech apparel for sure welcome back to science of the southland for monday january 16th let's talk tennis they started their seasons this weekend uh this past weekend actually, but we wanted to do a quick preview before they get into the meat of the schedule. Mr. Grant, let's start with the women. Tell me about their 2022. Yeah, so last year uh, in the spring, Georgia Tech went 8-5 and five in the ACC, 15-11 and 11 overall. I'd say that there were signs of improvement throughout. Uh, it's a team that had lost quite a bit uh, from the year before. Uh, spring of 21 saw the last ride of some talent that had been with Tech a long time, and uh, 22 figured to be kind of the figuring it out period. Uh, that being said, uh, they did wind up, uh, like I said, 8-5 and five in the ACC. It got them a bye through the first round uh, of the ACC tournament. Uh, they beat Boston College in a sweep. In the second round, they lost to Miami 4-3 in the quarters. Uh, for some context, Miami has been uh, top 25 and improving over the last two years. Uh, so, spoiler alert, uh, you'll hear about them in our upcoming preview for 2023. As for the NCAA tournament, uh, they did sneak back in. Uh, Georgia Tech uh, has been a pretty much a mainstay uh, in, in women's tennis. Again, it's the only sport that Tech has won an officially recognized NCAA championship uh, back in, I believe, 07. Uh, and they did have a heartbreaking loss in the in the second round, sorry, at Auburn on the road, uh, they played Memphis at Auburn in the first round and won, uh, I believe, 4-2-1 off the top of my head. Uh, in terms of returners, you've got most of the lineup back. Carol Lee, uh, who is probably Tech's uh, 
far and away court one in singles, uh, who's been in the ITA brackets and the NCAA individual brackets uh, very recently herself. Did not play this weekend. Uh, Georgia Tech went up to Columbia, South Carolina to play South Carolina, Wisconsin, and Wake in split weekends. Um, played fairly well, I'll add, but uh, Carol Lee only played doubles. So uh, will be an instant add to what was already figuring to be a pretty solid lineup. Uh, in addition to her, you've got uh, Kyla Bilchev, uh, Kate Sherbura, Ruth Marsh, Rosie Garcia-Gross, Ava Roster and Monica Dadaj. Uh, Dadaj and Garcia-Gross are your seniors. Everyone else has at least one year left, sometimes two. And then you've got newcomer Al- newcomer Alejandra Cruz, who was playing uh, midcourt in singles and doubles. So great to see. I need to let you take a breath because that was a lot. The color that I'll add is that Charbura Lee is probably tech. I mean, is tech's one, uh, one doubles court pairing and they are really, really good. I think when we were preparing for this episode, you were saying, Hey, I've written Charbura Lee in as much volume as you were writing Jones and Flores a couple of years ago, just for how good and how nationally renowned they are. Yeah, and and before that, Hurricane and Jones too for for all the old heads out there. But um, yes, Sharbur uh, and Lee uh, did make a deep run um, in in both tournaments, and it's great to see them getting potentially not just one but uh, two more seasons uh, on the flats. Expectations. We prepared for this episode talking about them as sort of a preseason top twenty-five. They did not host an ITA kickoff weekend this year. They were not in the top sixteen. Where do we think the chips are going to fall for this team with basically the same roster with the addition of Cruz in the, in the middle of the you know court seatings, where do you think they fall? The ACC is kind of a, a bloodbath. Uh, this team could go eight and five again in league play. And that would be something to hang their hat on uh, tech. As we mentioned is number 25 UNC's at two NC States at three Dukes at six Virginia's at seven. That's four ACC teams in the top 10. And Oh yeah. Miami's at 11. So <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be scary. Uh, the rest of the way through the ACC, they're going to need to pick up wins uh, especially with how many great teams they're playing just in general. You need to be above 500 uh, in, in, uh, in your games or matches, just like you do in say men's basketball, trying to make it to the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think Cruz slotting in to the middle of the lineup is a great sign. Uh, It it shows that this team's going to have more depth at the top. Uh, The kind of flip side to that though, is asking where Ava roster is at. She's on the roster. Uh, You know, we've seen her play a couple of years at tech. She's typically been a court three ish type player. Uh, So, you know, you'd like to have, uh, Cruz, you know, sliding in there and, and bumping everyone else down. But, you know, it, if that means that you're losing another player due to injury or what, who knows what, I I honestly can't even speculate. I don't know what's going on, but um, would be would be nice to know there. That being said, um, they looked really good this weekend in Columbia, and they're definitely going to get tested early and often. They'll be out in Berkeley this coming weekend uh, for ITA kickoff, as you mentioned, and Berkeley is sitting right at number 12. Uh, it's who they're figuring to play in the second round, should they win uh, against, I believe, San Diego in the first. Uh, just to add a little bit more to some of that, and with the ITA rankings, Carol Lee at 10 overall in the last singles rankings that came out in November, um, as I tabbed through this. Alejandra Cruz was 104. Mahak Jane at 109, Kylie Bilchev at 111. And then in the doubles, uh, doubles rankings that came out in November, Lee and Charbour are tied for 53rd nationally. They were one at one point. They were ranked first overall at one point. Uh, but I think their tournament performance may have put a dampener on that. That is what I have for you in terms of the, of the individual players, in terms of the team. Uh, in the preseason rankings, like we mentioned before, Tech was top 25 at 25 with a bunch of ACC teams ahead. I'm just looking at this now. UNC, Miami, Duke, Virginia. The, I'm not even going to bother. The, just just think of most State. of the uh, – a yeah. bunch of the bunch of the ACC is in that mix. It's going to be, like you said, a bloodbath. Mr. Purdy, mm-hmm. let's flip over to the men's side of Ken Byers. Tell mm-hmm. me about their 2022. Uh, this will, so probably not as high as the women, but they still have some really, really great players. Um, Andres Martin, obviously, is the 
the top guy in the bunch. Uh, he reached number nine in singles in the fall and number 12 last spring. Um, McDaniel, uh, Marcus McDaniel and Martin, they both won the ITA South Regional, Southeast Regional doubles title last season. Um, and then I was there for this at the Atlanta Open, which we potted about in the, oh, August, July. Um, Martin got to be the collegiate invite uh, for the Atlanta Open, and he beat the number 69th ranked Thanasi Kokonakis as a wild card. So uh, we've got some ATP winner on the team now. Um, in Martin, uh, returning squad, Keshav Chopra, Martin, Brandon McKinney, and Marcus McDaniel. Um, new Newcomers that I could find, uh, Rohan Sachdev, uh, who played pretty well on this past weekend against Furman, uh, listed as a sophomore from Purdue, so I guess he's a transfer. Uh, another one in that bucket is Gabrielle Brancatelli, Tennessee sophomore as well. And then two freshmen in Elias Shokri and Robert Bauer. Um, so not a, no team rankings or anything like that with these guys. Um, Martin will be high up there on the sing in the singles part um, against Furman this past weekend. He won handedly. Um, so outside of the Martin uh, and McDaniel doubles pairing and Martin individually in singles, um, that, that's where that's where that's where the power will be and where any postseason possibilities will come about. Um, uh, but how the hell is Martin? Uh, how the hell are Ma Martin and McDaniel still juniors? Yeah, that's the thing. COVID. COVID. There's no Rule. Brandon McKinney is the only senior on this team. So like there is a lot of like if this year is good, I'm like really excited for next year too. I'm hoping <sighs> well, they stick here's around. the thing. And here's you know, the thing. We've been saying that this team is young for at least We've three years now. Years. We, yes. Ugh. It drives me nuts Stupid. because because every year I'm like, okay, this is it. And this they get a COVID three. year, right? Like there's two years of this in theory left. Like uh, <laughs> Time is so dumb. It's it's a it's lovely. Um, I mean, they, so the team but, lost some heartbreakers early in last in and I guess in the fall. Um, in last year, couldn't fully no, figure it out. Was that last year in the spring? No, I I would say in the spring. In the spring, uh, okay. Georgia Tech Georgia Tech took a string of four three losses in ACC play. Oh boy, that's right. That's um, right. Now I'm remembering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, one was on the road at Louisville. That was tough. I think we lost another four three Notre Dame, but maybe that one was five two. You get the point. It yeah, it, it was it was real uh just kind of unfortunate and that's kind of like the way the literally the ball bounces some sometimes in tennis uh i i think it's one of the reasons that i'm at least looking at the Furman results and being like really marcus mcdaniel you lost to a Furman guy is because like my expectations for this team have been for them to take the next step now off of what i would say was overperformance from martin and mcdaniel early in their career um, and and I, I just don't think we've seen them take that next step yet. The potential is there. Yeah, uh, I think it's something that uh, the fact that they're back in the ITA kickoff field is, is really great and they'll get some quality play early. But, you know, it, it's I said it in 2018. Uh, I am 100 percent positive. I said it's spring of 2018. They they're close. And in 2019, they upset a, a really good ranked NC State team and maybe came close to doing it against Tennessee as well. Um can't remember the exact uh, result of the Tennessee match, but it was just one of those like, okay, they finally did it. They broke through and it just doesn't seem like they've been able to sustain momentum, be it due to tough losses or just like un untimely bounces and, and, you know, things that come down to splitting hairs. So uh, team's got a lot of potential, I think is, is the thing to highlight rather than the dang, like they came so close so many times last year, but they did right. They, they, they've been close. The thing I wanted to add uh, while we were still talking about the roster and before I realized that Andres Martin and Marcus McDaniel were still juniors, which is still giving me a headache. Uh, Andres Martin, number 72 in the last ITA singles rankings that came up. There you go. Uh, he is the only Georgia Tech player that comes up in my search. I think this is out of 125 athletes. Uh, so that's in terms of your individual pairings. Tech is obviously not ranked in the top 25, but they are in the top 64 because they are in the ITA kickoff weekend field. So yep. keep that in mind. Uh, Jack, you were at the Furman match. Uh, we already talked about this a little bit because uh, Jake yep. mentioned the uh, Andres Martin situation. Um, give me some more color on that. Uh, I got there right as doubles was ending. Uh, we won doubles, th those matches, and then singles-wise, uh, Andres was, gr was great. Um, easy easy looking match. Um, Marcus McDaniel was the, the highlight. He was down... 5-0 or 5-1, and then won, eight, and then won a, a nine straight games to win the first set 7-5, and then was up 2-1 or 2-0 before finally losing a game in the second set, um, and came out with the win. So I mean, we won 6-1, but there it was looking a little dicey for a second there. 
uh, when he was just not finding it. But then tennis is a funny game. How you can just turn around in a second and the momentum is all on your side. Um, they played on the indoor courts because it was very cold and very windy outside. Um, but there was a lot of people there. Furman's a close drive, so there's plenty of Furman folks there as well, which is cool to see. Families seeing each other for the first time in a while. Uh, they all, yeah, the, the families tend to know each other a little bit more in tennis just because there's only so many people involved. Um, so they've got some kind of, I don't want to say cupcake game, matches, but they don't have the tough ACC grind that they'll have coming up between Presbyterian and the Citadel and somebody else. Um, they've got every North Carolina ACC team is ranked, and they got to play all of them, and then Virginia's number one. So going to be fun. The ACC and tennis is just—it's brutal on both sides. But any other notes on the tennis teams, Mister Great, Mister Purdy? Uh, go watch Chris out. Eubanks on ESPN. Something. Yeah. It's probably going to be on the plus. Uh, speaking of additional items, let's hit hockey and volleyball on the way out. Mister Grant, tell me about the Savannah Hockey Classic. Yeah, Savannah Hockey Classic has been going on for, I believe, 24 years, 23 years. It was first contested in 1999. It is a tournament pitting FSU, Florida, UGA, and Georgia Tech uh, against, uh, I guess, the in-state rivalries are played and the conference rivalries are played. So Tech does not play UF, FSU does not play UGA. Uh, But that being said, uh, they usually wind up shaking things out nicely for everyone to be 2-0, and 0-2, and, and then two teams 1-1. One and one. Uh, This year, that 2-0 and o team was UF. Uh, they beat Georgia close and then, uh, did, I, I would say, demolished FSU. Tech walks away with a split weekend. Uh, they went 1-1, one and one, beating FSU 4-1 and falling to UGA 2-1, very close. Uh, and definitely an improvement over uh, their previous showing uh, against the rivals from Athens. Uh, Tech has won the Thrasher Cup, which is the prize awarded to the winning team, I believe eight times uh, in, in the number of times it's been uh, awarded. So relatively successful, but Florida walks away with it for the second straight year. Uh, last note on the Savannah Hockey Classic, that is contested at the new Savannah Hockey Arena and Market Arena that hosts the Savannah Ghost Pirates, who I believe are in the ECH. L. Mr. Purdy, tell me about volleyball transfers. Got a possible replacement for the middle blocker spot, which is where Billy Morissette was leaving, uh, and in theory, and I think Aaron Moss as well, um, with Deandra Pierce. Uh, she was a freshman at Texas, where the national champs. Uh, she only came in for a game this year, uh, but that, I mean, there's a hole in that spot, and so we're going to need her. Um, she was in AV, the uh, from the uh, Rumble, not the Rumble C, that's our website, the Rambling Wreck press release uh she went to austin high school two time all district player um named to the avca high school all region team uh 68 kills 29 blocks uh, in her senior year in high of high school uh so another another we're, we're pulling a lot of people from uh the texas area in terms of basketball and volleyball which is fun to see uh they got a lot of i mean it's basically a country anyway so they got they got enough people down there to, to distribute around the world um, was literally a country at one point, mind yeah, you. Yes, quite literally. That's yeah. That's why I like making that joke. Um, so yeah, another possible piece to fit in the middle. Uh, we'll see how it pans out. Um, Collier, I mean, we know the, the, the she got another freshman, I think, from Texas coming as well. Uh, no, this is the fresh. I think the, the I think in that case now, it's so. the state. I think in that case it's the state, not the university. But yeah. I digress. Yeah. Yes. No. Yes. Yeah. There's a high school. I think believe there's a high school grad coming out of a high school in Texas as well so we'll have a couple from there um and then i think there might be i would assume there has to be more announcements in terms of players coming because there's still a lot of holes to fill um in the back and front court so okay i think that about wraps it up for us tonight we are running a little bit long but mr grant why don't you take us home yeah Thanks again, as always, for listening. Uh, You can find us uh, wherever fine podcasts are distributed. uh, And we do appreciate any comments, uh, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff. We read all of them and and definitely incorporate what we see into the podcast. That being said, you can also drop us a line at uh, from the rumble seat at gmail.com if email is more your thing. Uh, You can find 
all of our our past episodes and all of the articles that go out with these fine podcasts at fromtherumbleseat.com. Comment there as well. You can find us uh, as well as our fellow writers who put out a lot of great content uh, on football, basketball, baseball, and all the other sports uh, as well. Best place to get all that content is fromtherumbleseat.com. You can also find us on Twitter uh, at FTRS blog at Jake Grant 98 at Jack Nicholas. Uh, and you can find section 103 at section 103 as well uh, on Twitter and uh, at their website, section 103.com. Uh, if you are an Instagram fan or Facebook fan, uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at from the rumble seat. Both of those platforms are growing. So join us there. And as always until next week, good night, good luck and go jackets. <laughs>